Hey, Chloe, do you know what a hegemonic power structure is? You know what? I think I do. Welcome back to Fact of Life with Chloe Noller and Maddie Grace Watson. You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Thank you so much for tuning in to Fact of Life today. We are so excited because we have teamed up with Radio Free Hillsdale, and we're so excited to be um, working with them, and it's, it's going to be amazing. We're really grateful. It is. We're so excited for today's episode. It's going to be a crazy one as we move on. Well, still on the topic of education in America, but specifically getting into critical race theory and all that that entails. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, we're going to walk through a little bit of the history of critical race theory, what what it is and how it got here. Um, we'll go into what it is specifically today as well. Um, we'll talk about how it's affecting us in modern times, and we'll finish out with how we can combat this and, and what we can do um, to get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as always, when we face a topic, we want to look back on where it came from, how it originated mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, everything comes from it. We've seen it with kind of the principles that we hold dear with the American founding. But, you know, we also see it with these that we don't necessarily agree with, like critical race theory. And so it kind of it takes us back to even the late 1800s and late 1900s. Chloe, do you want to kind of tell us about where these ideas began to develop? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to ask you, have you ever heard of the Frankfurt School in Germany? I don't know. It sounds familiar, but I can't tell you really anything about it. Yeah, so this was a, uh, a school um, that was kind of the birthplace of Marxist ideology. Um, you know, we have Karl Marx coming out of Germany as well, but um, during the late 1800s and 19, or early 1900s, um, there was this, this college that was kind of just a, a hotbed for Marxist, Marxist ideology and thought. And during World War II, a lot of the students of that college escaped Nazi Germany, um, and they escaped to the Teachers College of Columbia. Um, and I think this is relating to specifically to um, education here. But basically, out of out of what they were learning in that college in Columbia, um, they developed critical theory, which examines power structures. So. I want to bring up that word we used at the very beginning, hegemonic. Um, it's a really weird word, and I think it's used a lot these days, and no one really knows what it means. Um, but hegemonic means a ruling or dominant, or it, it's ruling or dominant in a political or social context. So when someone says a hegemonic power structure, they're talking about um, a structure of power that has to do with a ruling, um, ruling in a political or social context. So a hegemonic power structure would be something like government or the father in a family, um, that kind of thing. In a social or political context, it's that hierarchy. Um, Basically, critical theory examines these types of power structures and throws everything under suspicion. Um, It seeks to deconstruct it. I think that's a great term, and we'll we'll talk into that. But that's that's kind of the the classic thing of, of critical race theory. It's throwing everything under suspicion. Um, one of the things they say is to be tolerant. You can't tolerate intolerance. And, you know, especially kind of from our perspective nowadays with that hegemonic power structure, they're taking it down and they're rebuilding everything under the 
under the gaze of kind of a systemically racist country. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as we talk later about how we're seeing it in modern day and get more into that with things like the 1619 Project, Mm -hmm. we see that it's not just reviewing what we've been told and making sure we look at it with new and critical eyes. It's tearing down everything, regardless of whether or not it's the truth, and rebuilding it under this facade of a, like we see nowadays, a systemically racist country. Now, I want to dive into what deconstruction means. Um, This is a term that's used a lot in critical race theory. Um, But deconstruction, it's, it's termed as a philosophical movement, Um, of criticism that questions traditional assumptions um, about certainty, identity, and truth. So um, it basically, the point of deconstruction is undoing what has been constructed or done. So in in terms of what I've been talking about in critical race theory with the hegemonic power structure, it's such a strange word, um, but it it seeks to throw under suspicion the the people are not the people we have in power but the these structures of power so um i think a specific example to me is like the father in a home um that is not that's like thrown under suspicion like that's Mm -hmm. basically they deem in critical race theory they deem any person in power um as horror like as Mm -hmm. as bad that that's not a good thing Mm -hmm. um and so basically it deconstructs what we have now and it tries to undo what has been done so um, it's, it's, it's scary because they can take apart anything. And even if it's been proven to be good, they just take that apart. Exactly. You know, this reminds me of a conversation we were having in my U.S. Constitution class the other day. It was kind of towards the beginning of the semester, but my professor was telling us we were talking about kind of a liberal education and what that means. And he said, on one end of the spectrum, you're going to have the people that are going to follow everything that is tradition simply because it is tradition. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you're going to have the people that question and reject everything simply because it's tradition. But Mm -hmm. a liberal education and what we want to be is in the middle where we question what we've been taught, seeking truth. And if it's the same, it's the same. And if Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not. But I think what we're seeing with deconstruction and critical race theory is you have that far side, that far left side where it's we're rejecting everything we've been taught, mm-hmm. everything that we know, simply because we've been taught it. It's right. not because it's old. It's not like the Socratic method, which is in that middle, questioning it, trying to find mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. It's simply rejecting it. Right. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the Socratic method because um, this this sounds similar to what I've said before um, about like questioning questioning everything. Um, but th- I think there's a there's a really specific difference there. Um, when you are questioning something to seek to understand it, that is good. That is that is what I'm talking about. When you, when you're saying, "Hey, why do you believe what you believe? Like, what? Like, let me understand the the structure of your belief or where you're coming from. Like, I want to understand. I want to learn. I want to know. But deconstruction seeks to take it apart merely because it's there, um, not because it wants to understand it. Um, it wants to take it apart, deconstruct it. So I, I would say definitely deconstruction is very different from um, from the Socratic method in that you are seeking to understand something versus um, taking it apart. 
Alrighty, and as we kind of transfer into that history of it in the United States, I just want to remind you all that you are listening to Fact of Life with Chloe Noller and Maddie Grace Watson on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. And um, if you are one of our podcast listeners, you can check us out on there. Um, But yeah, so moving on into that history of critical race theory in the United States, the whenever we see it really switch over is actually with a man named Howard Zinn, who was a fighter pilot in World War II, and he was radicalized and wrote a new history of the United States, which I find interesting how you can write a new history. <laughs> I know. Considering history is something that happened. But, you know, we'll, we'll follow along. So his history that he wrote, it says that kind of in the late 18th century, the founding fathers were responsible for organizing revolution against the British, okay? I, I agree with that so far, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they uh, were. They were very responsible. However, oh, there's a however. Mm. These figures, these founding fathers, weren't particularly radical in their vision of the future. Ooh. Rather, they were wealthy, powerful people who saw an opportunity to become even more powerful by manipulating the working class against an external enemy, Britain. Wow. Interesting, interesting. No mention of taxes there. No, no. taxation without representation. No tea. No, not all of the grievances they listed in the Declaration of Independence right, about right. why they were throwing revolution. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it says it was during the Revolutionary War that American leaders developed the rhetoric of freedom and equality. The, the rhetoric. <laughs> not like the, not like the, quali- the, the rhetoric of freedom and equality. Mm-hmm. Which I find interesting because <clears throat> actually something about the American Revolution is that one of the reasons it worked so well is that these ideas that they were mm-hmm. fighting for had actually been circulating in the colonies for about a decade prior. That's right. We were also talking about that in my U.S. Constitution class, which is fresh on my mind. I've been studying for the midterm, but <laughs> that's one of the reasons that America's Revolution worked. You know, you look at the French Revolution, which was hasty and kind of sporadic, but it didn't work as well and end up developing something like we have now because these ideas had not been percolating in the minds of, of where it was. So I right. find that really interesting that he's saying here that it developed in the middle of the Revolutionary War. I know. That, that is very, very false. Um, and I, just, I think this is such a perfect example of, of critical race theory. This, this throws into suspicion the, the very founding of our country, the, mm-hmm. like the glorious golden moment of our history of the United States and it it says mm, no actually like that's not true uh, these like the founding fathers were wealthy powerful people who saw an opportunity to become even more powerful to take more power for themselves um, yeah it says in the end that the founding fathers drew up a constitution that would um, end up protecting their own property and interests yeah, which I find really interesting because I'm not sure how many people know this. We should all know this. But I'm not sure how many people do. But our Constitution was actually not the first, like, legal document that was written to govern America. It was the Articles of yeah, Confederation. right. Which tried and, as obviously we can tell since we don't follow it anymore, did not work out. And it really had a very weak central government. Yeah. But because they because the founding fathers did not want to have that power given to specific people, but you know, they saw that that power they needed at least a little more in the federal government. That almost none at all was not going to work and hold us together. And so they worked very hard and they drafted up this constitution to replace the Articles of Confederation. And I think it's interesting when you really look at these men 
you can tell that that's not what they had in mind. I mean, you look at George Washington, for instance. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, we have men, like, basically begging us to elect them president. Not many people know that George Washington actually did not want to be president at first, but he found that it would be disrespectful to the people Mm -hmm. if he did not accept that. He did not want to accept a second term. He wrote a farewell address after his first term, (laughs) and some of the other um, men that were leading there, I can't remember which one specifically, but they told him, they said, no, they want you a second term, you can't reject them. And he took on that second term because he thought it would look bad if he left after just one term. It would be disrespectful. And so Mm -hmm. he took that second term, left after that, making the precedent that people leave after two terms. But if you really look at these men and kind of, like we see with George Washington, their actions, you see that they weren't selfish and that those really weren't their intentions at all. No, I think it's so sad to me that they do this because the Founding Fathers are some of the most brilliant men to ever live. Um, they, they were incredibly educated and they had incredible virtue and morals. And I mean, a lot of them were followers of Christ and um, they truly believed that God was um, was fighting for them. You know, like they, mm-hmm. they believed that they were doing the right thing. Um, and I just think that that is so beautiful. Um, and it, it just, this is this is exactly what we're talking about here is is this lens that people look through based on modern times. They, they look through it. They look at historical characters through the lens of now. They mm-hmm. say, oh, uh, George Washington owned slaves. Oh, my goodness. That's horrible. What a horrible person. Horrible man. You should just disagree with everything he's done. Okay, but let's talk about the context of which he was in, okay? I mean, mm-hmm. it is wrong, period, to own slaves. I mean, that that was that's not a disputed fact. It, it's important to note where, you know, people have gone against, more, like, the natural moral, you know, law, the biblical principles. That's always wrong, no matter what how you look at it through what context. But they say... Um, that you should throw out everything he has ever done because he owned slaves. But you need to look at the context of the culture, and they say this about um, Thomas Jefferson, a lot of the founding fathers actually, but um, in in that time, I mean, pretty much like a lot of people owned slaves. A lot of people did. Um, and the founding fathers did not get rid of slavery in the very beginning because they knew the country couldn't handle it. We would never have mm-hmm. gotten a nation if we had tried to abolish slavery from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And George Washington set his slaves free when he died. And I, I mean, you know, slavery was wrong. It very much mm-hmm. was wrong. It still is. But you cannot just disregard everything George Washington did or is just because he owned slaves. Exactly. Um, you know, I remember a few years ago, I remember reading an article that was about something that Senator Cotton had said. Senator Tom Cotton from my home state of Arkansas. Great but guy. he had referenced the founding fathers and Abraham Lincoln talking about at the beginning of our country, they referenced slavery as a necessary evil. And he was attacked for this because people did not look at the context. When you look at it, it's we could not have broken off if we had said from the beginning that slavery was not going to happen in America, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, that's a sad fact of the times, but it was a fact of the times that if we wanted... It was a fact of life. You know what? You're right, Chloe. It was a fact of life. But if you look at that, we could not have separated if we had that dividing our country. If we wanted to create this country where everyone would be free and we could create this land of liberty, then we had to 
choose what main contentions we were going to fight on. You have to choose the hill you're going to die on, you know? Mm -hmm. And and (laughs) the country barely survived the Civil War and only did so because of another great man that's even um, thrown under um, suspicion as well today, but because of Abraham Lincoln. He was the one that saved Mm -hmm. our nation um, during the Civil War. And and it's it's insane to me to uh, hear what Howard Zinn says about the Civil War as well. But he just he just says that it was um, it was yet another attempt at the government to just control the people and and See, that's what I don't understand. I don't get it. It was a war fought to end slavery, to free all of these people, and now we see people throwing statues of Abraham Lincoln in the river. Like, tearing them down. I don't... I simply do not understand this. It's just ignorance. Like, yes, what do you want us to do? Take away Abraham Lincoln? No. Because that would be ridiculous. Our country would not be here if Abraham Lincoln wasn't a thing. He led our country through a civil war where we freed so many slaves and we stayed together in the end. He kept us together. That's unprecedented. That doesn't happen. I mean, what other country fights a civil war and comes out a better, more united country in the end. Well, like the revolution in Haiti, there were a lot of revolutions that happened during the late 17th, uh, 1700s and early 1800s. But in Haiti, they had a revolt, and then the white people were oppressed. The white people were mm-hmm. enslaved. Um, it was like a f- total flip. And so, you know, it was not perfect. And, and I think that's just, this is that's just what's so interesting to me, is like, of course, it's we're, we live in a fallen world. We are... We are human. We're, we're sinful people. We are humans. Things are not going to be perfect. We don't live in a perfect country. We don't have perfect leaders. The people in the past were not perfect. George Washington, the founding fathers, Abraham Lincoln, they were not perfect. But they did the best they could in the time that they were given. And they were, they're, they're honorable because of that. That's all we can do, you know, is to seek to follow Christ in our, in our lives um, and to to do good and that's that's all that we can do and we can find the good in that as well so the people's history of the united states that's the history book written by howard zinn it became one of the best-selling books of its time um it was published in i believe the late like 1980s um and this is now what's taught in schools not everywhere i would say but um in a lot of places this is becoming the standard of, of American history, learning about these hegemonic power structures and throwing these incredible leaders under suspicion. It's so sad. And, and we're going to take a break here in a couple minutes, but um, we're going we're gonna to talk about the modern consequences of critical race theory. Um, before we do that, I just want to remind you guys that you are listening to Fact of Life on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM with Chloe Noller and Maddie Grace Watson. Yes, and so right before we head on to the break, let's just take a look at what kind of critical race theory is, how it defines itself, um, how people define it now, modern days in America. Looking at a quote directly from the Legal Defense Fund website, it says that critical race theory, or CRT, is an academic and legal framework that denotes the systemic racism is a part of American society. From education and housing to employment and health care, critical race theory recognizes that racism is more than the result of individual bias and prejudice. 
It is embedded in laws, policies, and institutions that uphold and reproduce racial inequalities. According to CRT, societal issues like black Americans' higher mortality rate, outsized exposure to police violence, the school-to-prison pipeline, denial of affordable housing, and the rates of the death of black women in childbirth are not unrelated anomalies. And that is the end of the quote there. Wow, that quote is a lot to process, but we will get right into that and how that is affecting us right after the break. Thank you for listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 AM. See you in a few minutes. Welcome back to Fact of Life with Chloe Noller and Maddie Grace Watson. You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. So getting right back into how it's affecting us in modern times, there are two main things I kind of want to look at, which is the 1619 Project and the 1776 Report, which I think are our two main fronts that deal with critical race theory and all that that entails. Um, First, looking at the 1619 Project, which is definitely in support of critical race theory and that, um, that initiative And see, the 1619 Project is this ongoing initiative from the New York Times Magazine. It began in 2019, and it aims to um, kind of reframe America as placing the consequences of slavery and contributions of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative. And I got that from their website, and um, that explains how they look at that, but basically it tells the history of America from the perspective of slavery, which is painting America as the systemically racist country. And not just, it's not just kind of including the history of slavery in America, which is something I do think we should all learn because we should learn our country's mistakes, but it it is telling it from that perspective and it is painting it as America being founded on systemic racism. Yeah. Um, I think we just, to to find that term systemic would mean that it's ingrained in the system in which it is so it's institutionalized it's part of the hegemonic power structure um they would say that the like from the very beginning history or the the history of america um the the nation of america has been about slavery so that was the institutionalized it was the system of which the government worked upon was just this idea of racism and um of slavery Mm-hmm. And with the 1619 Project, you know, it says it's a project from the New York Times Magazine. And that's definitely where it started, but it has begun to expand. <laughs> New York Times Magazine. That's terrible. Like, you're having, you're having people from the New York Times Magazine educating your children. Exactly. And because this, if you're not aware that this um, curriculum is being integrated into some schools. There are it children is. sitting in classrooms right now listening to how they are living in a systemically racist country. And this is just so disheartening. How they're at fault, just because they're white. Exactly. There are are young children, no matter what color they are, the the young children who are white are being taught that they are inherently racist, that they were born racist. And those who are uh, any other color other than white, but specifically African-American, are being taught that their white classmates are 
inherently going to treat them poorly and inherently hate them, mm-hmm. which is terrible because so sad. it's teaching these children that they are racist. So these small little elementary school students that it's not just that they love each other. They don't know the difference. It's that they are racist or the or being attacked by racism from their other five, six, seven, eight, nine year old classmates. It's just so sad. Um, I I just that hurts. That hurts our nation so much from the very beginning. Children are being taught this. And, you know, I mentioned in the last episode, but Abraham Lincoln has that quote that the philosophy of education in one generation becomes the philosophy of government in the next. I think that's so important. But um, I, I just Jesus did not do that when Jesus was on on earth. He did not care about whether or not a person was a Samaritan or when he when he called the little children to come to him, he did not say no, only those who have been oppressed or that are um, that are sh- like that are struggling underneath this institutionalized racism. Like Jesus called every calls and continually does call everyone to himself because we are all equally broken. We are all equally sinful and we are all equally created in the image of God. Um, by by himself and he loves us like that we are all equally his children no matter the color of our skin and so it's so sad to me because what this project does what crt does is just it's it's enhancing the divide it's not Mm -hmm. creating it's and and talking about diversity and inclusion it just enhances the fact that we are different Mm -hmm. that that we do have a different color skin or we have a different mm -hmm. background or ethnicity it's not it's not creating that that uni- unified and beautiful um melting pot. You know that, that there's mm-hmm. that there's that analogy of the melting pot versus the salad bowl. Um mm-hmm. where the melting pot there's a bunch of different cheeses that, that get thrown in together and they become one. Exactly. Um it's it's instead becoming yeah. a salad bowl. And it's promoting segregation. It, it really is. It it is. is. It's saying it may be under this facade of wanting to fight racism and all of these things but when you go back to it it's still fighting for segregation which is something that so many people fought and endured so much scrutiny for i mean people sacrificed their lives i mean martin luther king jr was assassinated for fighting for this and you know we've come from this we've made so much progress and now we have critical race theory the 1619 project fighting for segregation again. And I I think it's interesting that coming from how the New York Times Magazine describes it itself, it says that it's placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative. I mean, they admit that themselves, but I think it's important to note here that they're wanting, not only are they wanting to put slavery at the very center of our national narrative, but they're saying we should have this national narrative to begin with, when really we should be looking at all sides of our history and as we do with a liberal education, mm-hmm. look at that, use the Socratic method, you know, question what's happening and learn from that instead of looking at everything through this lens of slavery, mm-hmm. through the lens of anything, really. We should not be doing that. But here they are admitting that themselves. Yeah, I, it's it's so sad to to just to see the the shift of focus um and it reminds me of you know how that quote we read from Howard Zinn and how he said that the um founding fathers you know were just creating a nation um with the rhetoric of freedom and equality and liberty like what what's their goal here 
do they not believe in freedom and equality? Like they, they not in the true sense. I know they don't, Mm -hmm. um, they don't, that's not what they want, but like, it just, it's so, it's, it's just, it's beyond me sometimes. Like what, Mm -hmm. like what their, their focus is. And I mean, we, I know that they are attempting to, to break down America. You know, you can't Mm -hmm. have a nation that's so divided as we are today. Exactly. And I just, one thing I don't understand that if we are this, if we truly are this systemically racist country that just wants the absolute worst for, for anyone that's not white, pretty much. What was the point of the Civil War? Like, literally, what was the right. point? Why, why in the world? Like, they can, it was about states' rights. I mean, it, it does talk, like, that, that was a central issue of the Civil War was if states could make their own decisions or not. But well, one thing that we talked about in my U.S. Constitution class that I keep bringing up is um, at one point, Alexander Stevens, who was the vice president of the Confederacy, he basically came out and said something I don't remember what the exact quote was, but it was very distinctly discussing one of the main reasons of the Civil War being slavery. And the higher-ups in the Confederacy ended up, like, chastising him for that because the Confederacy was trying to parade that their main reason was Mm -hmm. the state right and that they were being oppressed and all these things. But they were saying that so more people would be on their side. And the vice president came out and said something about how it was mainly because of slavery and he, he ended up he getting got, in trouble for that. Yeah. But that really was what it was. I mean, you see the Confederacy tried to parade under states' rights, and it did, and that, that was part of it. But it was part but, of it because of the issue of slavery. Exactly. It, that, that wasn't states' rights. It wasn't like states' rights. Oh, um, there's also slavery. It was like slavery, um, and because of slavery, there's also states' rights. Like, they, mm-hmm. there was the question of, are states allowed to allow or ban slavery um, within their own jurisdiction without you know, the, the federal government stepping in and doing anything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think something kind of as we're segueing with 1619 Project is that this, um, this initiative has not gone completely unchallenged. We saw with the 1776 Commission, which was instituted by President Trump, is, was kind of a rivaling thing created to combat this. You know, they came out with a 1776 report. The commission was ended up being disbanded whenever President Biden took office. Um, something I thought was cool is that the president of Hillsdale College, Dr. Arn, was actually the chair of this commission, which was really cool. Amazing. Something really cool to see. I know I've seen copies of the 1776 report in our, <laughs> in our library. But um, so, you know, what exactly is 1776 report? It says that their declared purpose was to, quote, enable a rising generation to understand the history and principles of the founding of the United States in 1776 and to strive to form a more perfect union, end quote. Oh, that's just so, that's so wonderful. I, I think there is, the Declaration of Independence is one of the most beautiful documents um, in, in the history of the world. I, I just think it's so beautiful and I love that they're taking phrasing from that. But in the course of human events, like there have always been those who deny or reject human freedom. Like we just saw with Howard Zinn saying that human freedom was um, just a rhetoric trick. Like all men are created equal. Like that is what that is what the founding fathers said about every man. Every man is created equal with different um, abilities 
And that is what that is mm-hmm. what's the beauty of our of our nation. Mm-hmm. One thing that you know, I was looking over the 1770, 1776 report here, and one thing that it said in it, which I thought was sounded so cool, was that quote, in the course of human events, there have always been those who deny or reject human freedom, which is kind of what Chloe's been talking about here. And it says, but Americans will never falter in defending the fundamental truths of human liberty, proclaimed on July 4th, 1776. We will, we must always hold these truths, end quote. Yeah, I just find this so beautiful because what the 1776 report is fighting for here was, is to look at America, to look at our history from the founding, which is where we started, and just examine it. You know, all of it included, yes, slavery, but yes, the principles of our founding, which were not based on slavery. It was actually based on Greco-Roman, Judeo-Christian, and Germanic um, uh, institutions and kind of what they fought for. You know, our founding fathers really surveyed the history of the different civilizations. And so I think it's amazing. And I think it's really cool, too, that, you know, Dr. Arne was the chair of this commission. And so I see some of a lot of the same things 1776 report is standing for also being integrated into our education here, mm-hmm. which is so cool. Um, but yeah, and so we see that is a really big thing that's combating the 1619 project. It's just such a beautiful thing. I, I love that. I love their wording to, to enable a rising generation to understand and, and a generation to understand, not a generation to contribute a specific purpose to America, not a generation to um, be more inclusive and diverse, but and, and, and a generation that understands the history, understands what's going on and why the Union was founded, or the United States in 1776 was founded. And, and I love that, that last phrase too, to strive to form a more perfect union. Union. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to be divisive here. We're not trying to create um, segregation and, and create um, white, like white privilege and, and racism here. We're, we're striving to create a more perfect union founded upon the principle that all men are created equal. Um, and, and, and like we sh- Americans should never falter in defending that at all. Exactly. And I think that kind of takes us into how we can all be combating this. You know, it's not just these big movements like the 1776 report, but we can individually, we need to have that united front front mm-hmm. to keep this curriculum out of our schools. And I, I think that that's a great mo- segue into kind of how we can all make this united front to keep this curriculum out of our schools. It's not just these big movements like the 1776 report but it is all of us can be doing something. And so as we're moving on into that, I just want to remind everyone that you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. This is The Fact of Life. My name is Maddie Grace Watson. This is Chloe Noller. And we're just excited to be talking with y'all today. But yeah, that kind of takes us into how we can all have that united front against critical race theory. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I think it's one of the, the best things that came from the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, was that parents saw what kids were learning, what they saw what their children were being taught in schools. They understood, whoa, like, I don't, like, what? I don't need my kids learning this right now. I need, I don't, what are they being taught? And so we've seen very recently just this huge uprising of parents against school boards going in when, when schools are teaching critical race theory, the 1619 Project, the parents ultimately have control in the schools. And so 
they're they're going to the board meetings they're they're rising up and i've seen legitimate change because of that and i think that's so exciting um even even those that don't have children in public schools and such they're still going and speaking up and that's a really good thing Exactly. And this really plays into what we were talking about in our last episode about losing a generation to progressivism, because now parents are seeing what kids are being taught. And I think when you look at this critical race theory, 1619 project, all of that entails, when you look at that, it's really no surprise that we are losing a generation to progressivism. Mm -hmm. And so it's great to see, like Chloe said, these parents taking this initiative, because I really do believe we will start seeing a change when we start seeing this this garbage being taken out of our schools, it'll be start being taken out of the minds and hearts of this next generation. And I really do believe we will see a change with that. Yeah, it's not too late at all. I, We can take a hold of the education of this next generation, um, but we have to be very vigilant and we need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can mm-hmm. um, to promote and to defend exactly. the fundamental truths of human liberty. Exactly. On July 4th, 1776. Another thing that I saw on the Legal Defense Fund website, which I really think goes hand in hand with this, is it says, quote, attempts to ban CRT are really attacks on free speech, on discussions about the truthful history of race and racism in the U.S. and the lived experiences of black people and other people of color, end quote. And so what I what you're seeing here with students are being taught critical race theory in their schools is they're being taught this, and then they're being taught that if anyone tells you otherwise, they are racist, and they are trying to attack your right on free speech. Mm -hmm. And so they're being taught this, and then if they're taught other things, it's immediately invalidated, because this is what they were taught first, and they were taught that if they're taught other things, that's wrong. It's it's quite literally brainwashing. It's horrible. That it it literally is. Um, it It just calls out the division. There's no, there's no unity within the culture in the slightest truly and i it really is not until we get this out of our schools that we can become that united front again and we have to get this and the brainwashing out of children we Mm -hmm. have to if we want to become that unified um front that we've always wanted to be yeah and i think it's also important to to touch on what education should be you know we've touched a lot on what it shouldn't be with these with these critical race theories and things like that. But it is important to note what it should be. And I think that that's, it should be liberating and release, quote, release the shackles on the mind. That's right. I think that's such a great statement. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis's comment from The Abolition of Man, where he says, the task of the modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. Ooh. Isn't that so beautiful? I, I love just, that quote. It's, we're not going into a child's mind to cut and reshape and refine and like cut down the jungle, brainwash them. We're going in there to irrigate the desert of their mind. They, they don't know anything, but they have that God-given potential and capability to understand, to, to think and reason and to grow in their understanding. And um, it's, it's so beautiful. There's a quote from one of my favorite um, historians and writers, uh, Victor Davis Hanson. He says, the purpose of education is to have inculcated the framework uh, so that they can go on for the rest of their lives with that method. They say to themselves, I'm going to start with deductive supposition. I'm going to make examples um, fit it. I'm going to have an open mind. If I'm going to vote for a presidential candidate, I'm going to look at certain issues empirically, and then I'm going to come to an end. Um, They're looking at what has come before they're looking at the facts they're looking at the history and using that to make their own 
decisions. Um, he said, whatever it is, they need to build a corpus of facts, dates, biographies. And then for the rest of their life, they can say, oh, we might as well do what Grant said. Or don't you remember what happened when Daniel Webster made that speech? That I feel like that is so true as Hillsdale students as we're learning. I mean, Maddie Grace and I have talked so much and mentioned our classes. And re remember what Socrates said that one time. Or um, Epictetus said this about stoicism. And I, it's just, it's wonderful. And it, it makes you feel um, great to be able to pull things from that, from history. Exactly. And I think it isn't until we understand our past that we can truly, you know, make the right decisions for the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know... 16 the 1619 project critical race theory it's not having us do that it's mm -hmm. not having us look at our past and learn from it and survey that and question what happened it's having us look at our past and make us believe that we are inherently evil yeah that's just that's that's so disheartening mm -hmm. but you know as we've talked about we can we can combat this we saw with 1776 project and we can do it in our local public schools. We can do it amongst each other. It's not something that is undoable. And that's, that's mm -hmm. the very encouraging part of it. That's right. God created us to understand, to reason with our minds, and to um, look for the beauty and the truth, the good, the true, and the beautiful, as Hillsdale says. Um, just want to remind you guys, thank you so much for listening. We're so grateful that you um, hopped on to join us talking about critical race theory, finishing up our two segments on education. Um, don't forget you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts, or you can tune in to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM on Thursdays, and we'll be there. Yeah, it's been a great episode. Make sure you tune in next week or go back and check out our past episodes, like Chloe said. If you like it, make sure you reach out to us. You can always contact us at factoflifepodcast at gmail.com. We're always open to episode ideas or just chatting with some different people, but it's been a great episode today. With that, I'm Chloe Noller. I'm Maddie Grace Watson, and, and we, we approve of this message. message.